All right, so we are about to start the second part of this book, and I've got quotes in here, and I always want to give the author credit. I'm not, I didn't write any, hardly any of this. It's George Zimmick's work, so when I, you see quotations, it's Zimmick's work or Zimmick's quoting somebody. I know that's an odd word, but here's where we get that word. Uh, it's used several times. It's a Greek word, hamartia. It's the Greek word for sin, Romans 3, 9, where you see this word. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. But we've already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under hamartia. So you have biblical hamartiology. Ology is the study of sin. So I don't know why we do that, but we do that sometimes. It's the 25-cent word. So basically, we're going to do an overview of sin, Old Testament, New Testament. Okay? It will take us a great deal of time. It's the summer. VBS is around the corner. And so I'm going to go very slowly. I don't intend to cover very much because I don't want us to... We're going to be so scattered over the summer, I don't want us to forget these things. So I'll probably be slow and repetitive, slow and repetitive, slow and repetitive until we get to the end. Besides, I don't want to quit on sin until Cody Anderson gets here because he really needs to hear about sin. Okay. <laughs> So we'll try to drag our way through until Cody, and then we'll pick up the pace just a little bit. So we'll start much the same way as we did last time. Uh, you'll be a little more familiar with it. We deal with word roots, and so we will look at roots in the Old Testament in the Hebrew and how they constructed those words to help us get a better picture of sin. Then you roll in the New Testament, deal with the word roots, same principles at play here. Uh, Old Testament's always much more pictorial, meaning it's painting a picture for us. It's, it's easier for me in the Old Testament because they're so careful with their words and they're just really trying to help you understand. And you get into the Greek, you know, the words take off a little bit more. But anyway, we'll go slow. We ended really well uh, with anthropology. I really appreciate y'all's questions. I'm going to try to do the worksheets more. And we'll walk through them together, but I really want you to grasp this. We're getting more and more important as we approach salvation. And he makes the comment in the very first page of this book, if you don't get the doctrine of sin, you cannot understand the doctrine of salvation. The more that you understand about our sinfulness, the more that you will glory in our salvation and see all the amazing grace that took place for God to save you. Brad, did it work? Okay, okay. All right, so this first word, it's a guttural, chata. Start with a ch, like you're clearing your throat, and you go on chata. It is the most basic, fundamental root for sin in the Old Testament. And all kinds of words are built off of this triliteral root. Hebrew and Greek is the same thing. You, you, you got three letters. And that forms your root word. And then you get prefixes and suffixes to make your word mean what you want it to mean. Okay? Now, without any moral context, chata simply means to miss. Okay? So in Judges 20, it's a reference about David's arm, uh, his valiant men who could sling a stone right or left-handed and split a human hair. Okay? That's what the text says about these guys. They were so good. So when you read Judges 20, it says, Out of all these people, there were 700 men 
Left-handed, each one could sling a stone at a hair and not chata, miss. There's your root. They could hit a human hair with a rock and not miss. Okay? Now, the Hebrew will take that root, those three letters, and they will bring it into a moral context, and you start seeing sin. Okay? So they took this word, we're going to give it a moral context, and it will form sin. So this is what Zimic says. Maybe you got me messed up with that. These warriors could sling a stone and not miss their marks, not even by a hair's breadth. If they missed their mark, it would be said that they had failed to hit the target. Therefore, when this Hebrew root is brought into ethical settings, any failure to hit God's moral mark is a miss or a sin. Make sense? God has requirements in the law, and if you miss the law, according to God, you sinned against God. And, you know, this would be a really good time to pause and go all the way through the book of Leviticus and talk about the law. We don't have time for that. But you know how detailed God was about how they were supposed to live in light of the relationship that they had with him since he rescued them out of Egypt. Now, how often do you think they missed the mark? About every time they threw a rock. Yeah, right? So that's what we're dealing with here. So you take this chata, and they form verbs, nouns, or verbals, which are just nouns that act like verbs, from this word group. And they're found in a variety of situations throughout the Old Testament. It conveys the most generic, inclusive, or broad perspective on sin in the Old Testament. Here's your first one, Job 34. For he adds, rebellion is not the word. I'll talk about that in a second. He adds rebellion to his chata, his miss. He claps his hands among us and multiplies his words against God. Now we automatically know from the word rebellion, which is not chata, that he has brought the word miss into a moral context. See that? This is what I love about Hebrew. We're not just going to keep using the same word. We're going to bring a word in to add context. And so he's talking about rebellion So when you hear this word, we're talking about missing the mark of God. He required something of you, and you missed. Make sense? Let me show you how Hebrew works, and it's a passage that I'm struggling with. Open your Bibles to Psalms 36. I started this psalm a few weeks ago. I didn't finish it. Lord willing, I will sometime. I was so... uh, I guess moved by the first part of the psalm, I could never make it past the first four verses, but I've had, I have read it a lot. Now, I, I'm not going to describe this well. I get frustrated um, not being able to describe it well. But you see this a lot in psalms and proverbs, okay? We'll, we'll say something, and then we'll say the exact same thing a different way and carry it deeper into meaning. Does that make sense? And I should have you an example here, but I don't. We'll just make a statement. We'll repeat ourselves and carry it into a deeper, more clear meaning by saying the same thing in a different way. Make sense? So, for instance, Psalms 36, look at verse 11. Let not the foot of pride come upon me, and let not the hand of the wicked drive me away. Now, The first part of that, who has the foot of pride? 
And that's the part that I've wrestled with for a few weeks because I want it to be David the writer. But if you read the second part of verse 11, who's he speaking about in the second part? Is David speaking about himself? Who's he speaking about? The wicked. So whose foot of pride is it? The wicked. See how that helps you? It can't be David. I want it to be David because pride comes before the fall. But he says the same thing in the second time that he says it. He says it more clearly and more meaningful. Y'all see that? Okay. So when we get Job 34.7 and you've got the word miss in Hebrew and you're trying to figure out what he's trying to say here, but then you have this different word that we'll talk about later on as we go through this. He adds rebellion to his miss. Oh, we're into a moral context. We're talking about sin. We're not talking about throwing rocks anymore. See how that works? Rebellion helps you understand the context. And so this is, again, the most basic word in the Old Testament that helps us understand we miss the mark of God. And I've got other examples. So 1 King 8 is when Solomon is praying to God and he's dedicating the temple. And in verse 46, he's speaking to God and, they, and he says, When they, or your people, the nation of Israel, chatah, or miss against you, got to be talking about sin, when they sin against you, for there is no man who does not miss, and you are angry with them and deliver them to an enemy so that they take them away captive to the land of their enemy, far off or near, and then he goes on to talk, and if they repent, come back to them, rescue them. Okay? But you see how this word's being used. And what else do you see in this passage up here? How does God respond when you miss? He's angry. In other words, there's judgment. Missing the mark, there's judgment. Okay? There is a moral standard, and to miss incites judgment. Make sense? See that? All right. This is, I guess, the most famous psalm of repentance in Psalms 51. David is repenting to the Lord for his sin against Bathsheba, and he uses this word miss against you and you only. I have sinned or chata or missed. And what would we say? Oh, David, brother, that wasn't a miss. That's a whole lot worse than a miss, right? But you understand the context. He's, he's talking about moral failure, okay? So against you and you only, I have morally failed or I've sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight, so you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge, okay? And again, that's just the base word. Um Since I don't have my, yeah, I'm having to look ahead because my thing's not working. Here's another example, uh, and this one we want to go to. So I guess turn to Leviticus 5. This is very interesting. I remember studying this for the first time, and I was like, I never knew sin was this bad. This is one of those moments for me when I realized and hopefully when we get to the end of this, you'll see your own sin or rebellion against God is absolutely cosmic treason. I think that's what R.C. Sproul used to call it. Cosmic treason against a king every time you and I 
raise our hand to sin against God? Because how often do you sin and don't realize you sinned? Not very often. I mean, granted, sometimes we sin and then like five seconds later we go, wish I hadn't done that, wish I hadn't said that, you know? There's not a, a, a diff, there's not a great, I guess, distance between our commission of sin and our realization of sin, right? But you have to understand, even if you never knew you sinned against God, it's still missing the mark and it still incurs the judgment of God, even if you didn't know. Okay? So Leviticus 5, let's see, where do I need to start? Verse 15, let's start there. If a person acts unfaithfully and sins, there's your word, chata, I can pronounce that right, unintentionally against the Lord's holy things, then he shall bring his guilt offering to the Lord, a ram without defect from the flock, according to your evaluation, silver by shekels in terms of the shekel of the sanctuary for a guilt offering. He shall make restitution for that which he has sinned against the holy thing, and he shall add it to it a fifth part of it. We're just talking about the, the sacrifice. And give it to the priest. The priest shall then make atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering, and it will be forgiven for him. In other words, blood was shed, and an animal died, and they sinned unintentionally. Now, if a person sins and does any of the things which the Lord has commanded not to be done, though he was unaware... He is still guilty and shall bear his punishment. See that? Verse 17. When that dawned on me, I was like, sin's a lot worse than I originally thought. Okay? It's a lot worse than I originally thought. Now, you're like, oh, if he didn't know, how did he know to bring the sacrifice? Well, he talks about when it was found out, when it was found out. But then he concludes with this thought. Even though he's not found out, he's still guilty. He's still guilty before God. And an animal still had to lose their life to atone for that sin. Isn't that something? We think so little in light of our sin against God. And we, we really ought not do that. All right. Any questions about that word? And I'll move on to second root, and then we'll be finished uh, this evening. Like I said, I don't want to do a, a whole lot. There's your trilateral root, by the way. Yeah, don't. We'll wait on Nathan to sort that for us. All right, here's your second word. And again, I'm just going to give you two tonight. It's pronounced, and you can see it right there, ta'ah. I mean, and there's your trilateral root. And it means wondering. And it's used without moral context. Exodus 23. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey wandering away, you shall surely return it to him. No moral context. Ta'ah simply means you're wandering off. Okay? Uh, Job 38, who prepares for the raven its nourishment when it's young? Young cry to God and wander about without food. So there you have a crow that's just wandering around in the field without food, trying to find something to eat, a worm sticking out of the ground. Ta'ah. Now, you can easily see how we can bring that into moral context and it take on the nature of sin, right? 
And of course, the Old Testament does in a number of places. Psalms 58, the wicked are estranged from the womb. These who speak lies to Ah from birth, or they wonder from birth. And so now we've used a word that we'd, would be very common about a wandering animal or a wandering child, and we've given it moral context. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Right? Isn't that what we sing? There's your word. That's what we're talking about. We're so prone to wander away from God, and this is this word, ta. okay? Of course, Isaiah 53, one of the most profound passages in the Old Testament, all of us like sheep have gone astray. We have wandered away. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Isn't that amazing? The grace of God and the work of Christ coming together to atone for our wonderings. And how often have we found ourselves out in left field because of moral failure, right? And it happens so quickly, does it not? So I just typed this. I was still processing this when I put this on a slide. I'll read it to you. Maybe it'll, it'll continue to form in my mind. A sin of error does not signify diminished guilt or culpability or responsibility but only a different offer of atonement a sin of error does not diminish guilt if you made a mistake you're not less guilty but the atonement the sacrifice was different the act of atonement is lesser or greater in accord with the status of the wrongdoer the danger of unknown but no less fully responsible error demonstrates that people are totally dependent upon God for a number of things, and I'll show you what those number of things are. In other words, now we're talking about mistakes. And you have to understand you're still guilty. Even in making mistakes, we're still guilty before God. So we're, we're dependent upon God to show us where we're wrong. Psalms 19, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me, then I will be blameless. And, I'll sh and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Now, let me talk about this psalm real quickly. It's imperative in your spiritual life to ask God about the sin in your life. If you don't want to grow up as a Christian, don't have conversations with God about the sin in your life because you don't even know where all they are. But when you begin to seek the Lord in your silence, on your bed at night, asking God to show you the depravity in your own heart, you're going to mature in your relationship like nobody's business. You know, you have a conversation with somebody about the sin in their life. What do they immediately do? They begin deflecting, talking about the sin in someone else's life. They don't want to talk about it in their life. They'll deny it in their life. Oh, you said I said this. Well, let me tell you what she said. That's what they do all the time. If you want to be an infant in your relationship with Christ, just do that. But if you want to be mature, stop worrying about what she said and stop, start being concerned with what you said and what you have done. And really the only way you can figure that out is to get along with God and just say, okay, you're just going to show me my heart. I did it last week. I thought I was free and clear. I thought I had done the right thing. God said, not at all, son. Not at all. So, I had to repent. 
my goodness. I didn't even think about that. Exactly. You did. He wasn't saying that, but I was saying that to myself, right? So this is about the sin of error, and this is why we depend upon God's disclosure. We're absolutely dependent upon him for all things. So we pray, God, you know, let me see myself in a mirror on the inside so I can repent and grow up, okay? It's not only God's disclosure, but it's God's guidance. Psalms 119, I'm a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your moral commandments from me. I need to know truth. Rob and I were talking about this yesterday. The world doesn't give a rip about truth. They only want their narrative to be told and accepted by all. They don't care about truth. But as a believer, your sole concern is for truth because truth is what glorifies God. And don't ever think that you have a handle on truth. You don't. The Lord does and his word does. That's it. So we're dependent upon God's disclosure of our sin. We're dependent upon God's guidance from his word. And we're dependent upon God's judgment or forgiveness. Psalms 119.21 You rebuke the arrogant, the cursed, who wonder, there's your word, who wonder from your commandments. So again, we're dependent upon God for judgment or for forgiveness. All of these words not only teach you about your sin, but they also point you to an absolute dependent upon, dependent relationship upon the Lord. Does that make sense? Every way. Every way. Lord, I wondered. Help me to see how I got out here and grant me your forgiveness and teach me your truth so I won't find myself out in left field again over the same issue. Chris Milliken always told his boys, don't make the same mistakes your daddy made. Make your own. Right? Which would be nice. We don't want to get our kids to repeat our failures. But nonetheless, we wonder, and it's God who's the one who teaches us truth so we don't find ourselves standing out in the middle of left field. All right? All right. He closes with a salt. Openness, that's what we're talking about. To the revelation of error or openness to the disclosure of error becomes an important concern of biblical anthropology. If you're not opening to listening to the voice of God reveal the truth of God concerning your own life, you're always going to be a baby. Man is totally accountable before an absolute holy God for all wonderings. Whether that's ta'ah or it's chata' missing mark. And guess how many roots there are? Like a dozen. Okay? And all these words are built off all these roots and everything's trying to help you understand your sinfulness as a man. And then you roll in the New Testament and there's not as many, but there's still all these kind of roots, build all these kind of words, and you get to the end of this and you're like, you just have, for lack of a better word, a deep appreciation for your own sinfulness and a desire for the amazing grace of God every single day, you understand how desperately you need it. 